0: Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. Thank you, brother. All right. Good morning. How's everybody? Good, everybody say hello to the online audience. There you go. Thank you for joining us online. Thanks for joining us in the room. Uh, how amazing to watch the uh, cardboard testimonies. These were people who 10 weeks ago started our Rooted experience, and uh, and you saw some of the stories there just in a couple words on each side of a cardboard about the difference that Rooted has made. Round of applause if you've taken Rooted. Throw your hands up in the online chat if you've taken Rooted. Okay, good. Uh, round of applause if you haven't taken Rooted. Okay, registration's open today, so get in it uh, and get ready because God's going to do something great uh, in your life uh, through our Rooted Experience, which leads then into uh, ongoing small groups, which leads into further discipleship and feeding. If you want to get connected at sunrise, get into our our, uh, discipleship process through our groups. We're a church of small groups. That's what we are. We're not just a church with groups, we're a church of small groups and uh, super excited uh, to be able to see all the graduates Rooted. By the way, graduating every campus, every campus had graduates for Rooted. We have uh, four campuses. Uh, what, uh, four campuses in English, two campuses in Spanish. That's what I should say. All six of them had Rooted graduates, so it was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, that all around all the Sunrise campuses, this was happening uh, today. And again, uh, thank you for joining online as well. And we are, I am excited to be able to get in this. So what I want you to do is I want you to find Matthew chapter 6 because that's where we're going to be today. We're going to wrap up our series. Uh, as we come to the close of Thanksgiving weekend, uh, how many of you, maybe, I won't even ask because I already know it's going to be the whole place, you know, got somehow affected by Black Friday right, I should say infected, right, all the ads, all the other stuff, maybe you didn't go out, maybe you didn't get a tent, but you you, you spent some money probably, uh, and then some of you will regret that you didn't spend more money because you're going to think, oh, that deal's gone now, and now we're into this full kind of into the Christmas season, and one of the things that we know about Christmas, actually two things we know about Christmas is it's expensive, most of us are going to rack up some debt, that's number two, right, and then based on those two things, and the uh, man, if I can get my mouth to work, the statistics show us that unpaid debt is a definite issue in our culture. Some of you, a lot of you may have that. A lot of you went into debt last Christmas. You haven't paid it off all year. Now you're going to be in debt again this Christmas. There's a lot of things that go on. And what happens when we get unpaid debt, we're in this series called Peace of Mind. It starts to mess with the peace in your mind. You start to get stressed. There are mental health statistics that show this, uh, that there are all kinds of stresses and anxieties and worries and depression and other stuff that is related to money. In fact, one out of two people uh, are stressing over money, even in this room right now, according to the stats. One out of two. So what we want to do is today is we want to talk a little bit about how we can get peace of mind in an area that I would call unpaid debts. And this is what's going to be interesting about today, and this is why you don't want to miss this, because we immediately think about unpaid debts as finances, but they're actually more than that. Uh, There are actually some unpaid debts that are beyond just finance. In fact, finances are symptoms of a deeper issue that we're going to see in just a minute. Uh, and then those that deeper issue then can cause us to get to a place where we have other unpaid debts that are non-financial, but they're debts of, of the soul. They're debts that are deeper and more sinister than just a financial debt. As a matter of fact, financial debt is the easiest. Thing. That's kids play. That's something, some of you came and maybe you saw this, you're like, man, I want to know how to get out of debt. It's simple. Live within your means, simplify your life, pay off your bills. Bon, done. Some of you, I know, are dealing with some things that nobody saw coming Something dealing with your health or a relative or some other thing that crash down on things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the vast majority of us who deal with debt that is simply the result of us overspending. But there's something behind that. There's something that's deeper into that, And that something then creates threats and tensions in other debts that are more, again, psychological, that are, that are spiritual, that are within our soul. And those are things that we carry around that if they go unresolved, and that's what I want to talk about, if they go unresolved then we're going to find ourselves in a deep, again, dark, a sinister place where we are dealing with a lack of hope and dealing with depression and other things that will attack us as a result. And they then affect other things around us. So we're going to get into that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus just happened to talk about this concept of worry and money. He does it in a message that we call the Sermon on the Mount because we're geniuses. He preached this message on a sloped hill so we said he's preaching a sermon on a mount because we're super creative. If some of you want to say something about today, you could say I sat at Rialto and I watched Pastor John preach a sermon on a stage. You know, and people will just write books about it. But anyway, the thing is, is I'm just trying to say that's not very creative. Okay, um, some of you aren't here yet. I know you're still really reeling from your football team's losing and the tryptophan that you ate in the turkey that you ate this weekend. Matthew 6, verse 21 is where I want to start. Jesus tells us immediately the real issue behind unpaid debt, behind a lot of things, coveting, behind a lot of the other things we've talked about all month, unmet expectations, uh, comparison, unresolved conflict. Here's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's preaching this again in this sermon, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's bringing his ministry public in a sense, and he's telling them this is what life in the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like to be a follower of God. And, it, and, and he talks about all kinds of things, including marriage. And he talks about murder and adultery. He talks about spiritual renewal, loving enemies. He talks about how to treat others. He even deals with religion, like how to fast and not to fast, how to give and not to give, how to, you know, do all kinds, pray and not to pray. He, he goes over all of these things in this message. It's like three chapters in the book of Matthew. And in the middle of it, he talks about worry and money. And he starts with, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He says what we prioritize what we what is important to us is where we're going to have our heart. Our heart will be focused on what we treasure. So the question today is what do you treasure? And we talk about that what we're saying is what do you prioritize? What is it your heart actually represents the center of your being. It's your reason, it's your will, it's your emotions. So what is it that affects your emotions, gives you a good day or a bad day? What is it that affects the way you think? What is it that affects your will or your willpower, your decision to do things? What will you drop everything to go do? That's what your treasure is. And for many of us in our culture, even in Jesus' day, that thing has to do with money. It it, it may not be money itself like cash. It might be something that it takes money to get. But the reality is for many of us, it's about money. We talk about going to college, getting a job. Why do we want to go to college and get what kind of job? So we can make more money, so that we can be able to be more what we call successful. And Jesus says that we have to watch it because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So it's important for us to understand what our treasure is and what true treasure really looks like. Because this debt thing that we have is because we treasure things that Jesus is about to tell us isn't really treasure. The things that we treasure, we'll go into debt for and really struggle for and really think about and obsess over and make plans for and shift our lives for. It's not even the real treasure. He goes on to give an illustration about this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So the eye representing what you prioritize, what you fixate on, what you shoot for. If that's something healthy, then your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness, Jesus says. And what he's referring to when he says that is he's talking about within our, uh, the inner parts of who we are, the inner core of who we are. It's affected by what we prioritize. And if you prioritize something that's healthy then your, your inner core will be healthy. But if you don't, then you could be dealing with deep, sinister, even evil darkness. And then he tells us what those two things are that are pretty much where everything sums up, where our eyes might be focused. How many of you know that everything that we can talk about that you might focus on actually fall into one of two buckets? According to Jesus, it is this. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So he starts out saying, you can't serve two different kingdoms, two different masters, two different ways of life. You have to make a decision. And then he says, no one or you cannot serve both God and money. See, every other thing you can call it success, you can call it stuff, you could call it investment, you call it whatever you want to call it. Seems to track toward money, and our whole culture is that way. Even our founder said, you know, the pursuit of happiness, and part of that is to get a new way of life, and all of that it revolves around this idea of money. But he says there's another pursuit, which is God, and here's the thing: you cannot serve both. He didn't say you couldn't have both, but you can't serve both. Because the thing you serve isn't so much about you having it, but it has you. And so the question is, is does God have your immediate attention? Is your eye focused on the things of God? And what God wants you to do, is your eye drilling down into to where it affects inside who you are so that your character and how you think and how you act is affected by your pursuit of God? Or is it something that eventually finds its way on the debit sheet to something dealing with money? If, if if the stats are true and most of us are in this debt that is verging on overwhelming, then I would say, again, barring huge, you know, events in life that are outside of our control that we didn't see coming. My entire house burnt down. I got laid off from my job. I got that phone call and I only have six months to go. All of those kind of things, they're different. But what I'm saying is the vast majority of us are dealing with this kind of debt that is verging on overwhelming. We have these bills that are unpaid that cause stress and anxiety and depression and all of that in our lives because we might be, we just might be serving the wrong master. And Jesus says, you can't Have it both ways. Then he says, therefore, based on this truth of your eye and based on the truth of your heart is where your treasure is and what you treasure your heart is, your eye is what dictates how you're going to be on your inner being, your focus that you can't serve to. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat and what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. He's not telling you don't plan and don't. Don't have a strategy and don't have some kind of a vision for your life and all of those things. Not saying that, he's saying don't worry. Don't come to the place of anxiety and stress and, and have it affect. And this is what I want to talk to you today about the other things that that begins to affect. The things I would even say begin to, to infect because of the fact that you're struggling and worrying about your life. And he defines life as what you will eat and what you will drink. And others don't worry about those things, don't worry about what you're going to wear. And then he says this, which is critical to today. Life, isn't it more than food and the body, more than clothing? In other words, Jesus says there's more to this life than stuff. And as simple as that is, it affects all of us. And the question comes up is we either believe Jesus or we don't. We either believe that he can give us a life that is better than the life the world has to offer And that isn't dependent and contingent upon the stuff. doesn't mean we can't have stuff. doesn't mean we can't have nice stuff. Uh, It doesn't mean that that stuff can't be a part of our life. But it cannot be the sole focus and the king of our life. So we either trust Jesus or we don't. Jesus gives two examples, both from nature. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You have these birds that fly around and they're doing their thing and your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't have to worry. They're active. You ever seen a bird in your tree or around your neighbor? They they fly. There's something going on there. They even hunt. They go grab a worm once in a while. They build nests. They have little eggs. I don't know how they do that, but whatever. It's all happening. You don't see birds just hanging out, foot up on an ottoman, you know, just watching life go by. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't. But. Don't worry, remember, about your, what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. The birds don't have to worry uh, because the heavenly Father feeds them. I like that he says birds of the sky because there are some birds that don't fly. We ate them this weekend. So you just talking about the, the birds in the sky, not the ones who, who can't fly. But anyway, then he says this, aren't you worth more than they? You want to memorize a verse? Memorize Matthew 26 or 626. Because this will define you for the rest of your life. Listen, your heavenly father values you. He values you more. Listen, he values birds. That's how great God is. He digs birds, he digs all of his creation, but he digs you the most. So don't let anybody ever convince you that you're worthless or that you're a mistake or that, listen, God has a plan and a design for your life. The question is, where is your eye? What is it that you treasure? Who is it that you're looking to to provide that? Because you matter. And then in verse 27, he throws this out. Can you add one? Can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? Is worrying ever been the thing that they try to sell on the internet? You know what can solve all your problems? Stress. That's what's going to solve it. We're going to call you every day and rattle you with bad news. It's just going to be great. It doesn't work. Worrying doesn't, in fact, what worrying does, it doesn't add, it takes away. It takes away experiences. It takes away relationships. It takes away our health. It even crushes our spirit at times. And worrying, listen, it's a choice. That's what Jesus is telling us. It's a choice. You don't have to worry. You understand, Pastor? Everything's coming. I just, I work. No, you don't have to. You could just stop. Well, how do I do that? Shift your eye. Shift your eye. Because what happens is at one point we believe things so much that we begin, listen, we, everything we see, we begin to believe it to be a certain thing because we have a certain mindset and an eyes on something. So if we think that we're in the target, if we think that everything is going against us, then everything we see, we interpret as going against us. And, what, and some of those things could be opportunities for a, a breakthrough or an opportunity for something deeper. And what you need to do is get stronger and be able to go, get past that. And instead, you choose to worry. And some of you carried that in today. Some of you online are thinking about that right now. You didn't come to church. You're in your house because you're worrying. Some of you. And some of you are here and you're worrying, and the thing you're worrying about is sitting next to you. Or you dropped them off in kids. Yes, you have to go back. He says, you can't at any moment. Why do you worry about clothes? Listen, he gives the other example. Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. They're basically inanimate. Don't write me a letter about plants or life. They're inanimate, okay? They might breathe, but they don't, they don't talk. You know nothing. And yet, he says, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. We all take pictures. We draw paintings. We send little great verses and stuff underneath from the Psalms to pictures of things that God takes care of. So he says, if that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Of course he will. And he says, you have little faith. In other words, I don't think he's indicting them. I think he's saying, look, you just have a little bit of faith. The flower doesn't have to have any real faith. The bird doesn't have, you have a little, imagine what he could do with that. If he does that with the birds and the flowers, imagine what he could do with just a little bit of faith. So don't worry, he says in verse 31, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear. And I'll repeat what he said in verse 25. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make that I want you to see. Is when it comes to financial debt, when it comes to all of that chasing after treasure and all that stuff, and and, and you start to deal with all of the stress and the worry and the lack of peace that comes from that, here's what Jesus says essentially five, six times he says in that text, don't worry. And he uses nature to talk about it, and he uses other things. And he said, don't worry, God. Listen, true treasure, this is what he's saying, is internal, not external. And that's the problem we have, is that most of us look at true treasure as being those things that are on the outside. It's the car. It's the house. It's the great-looking kids. It's the vacations. It's the trips. It's the bank account. It's all of those things. And the reality is Jesus says that's not it. It's actually something internal. And then he goes on, and he tells us what that thing is. Look. In Matthew 6, beginning at verse 32, as he continues, For the Gentiles, watch, eagerly seek all these things. Right? He says, Don't worry, life is more than food, body more than clothing. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink. Because even the Gentiles, listen, the Gentiles, and that word Gentiles is a word for basically godless people. People who aren't interested in God's agenda. That's what he's saying. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. That's what they're about. They they take an inventory and they're trying to see what they have and, and they're checking it off and they and listen, they're not they're better than Santa. Santa checks a list twice. People who are into things check their list every day, like all the time, on a regular basis. And he says, your heavenly father though knows that you need them. So do you want to be like a Gentile all out for yourself, trying to somebody apart from God's plan, apart from God's will, trying to build a, a list of things that you could say you have that you can call your life a success, or do you want to keep your eye focused on your heavenly father that already knows all that stuff and already knows that he's taking care of the birds and the, and, and the wildflowers and the other stuff? Will he not that much more take care of you? Jesus essentially is telling them, listen, listen. If you take care of your internal, I'll take care of the external. That's what he's saying. Here's the problem. Are we going to do that? Because his very next statement that he says in verse 33 is, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. Now, we read that verse sometimes, and we think all these things mean all these great like perks and stuff. Oh, then I'll get the big car. Then I, no, he's only talking about food, clothing, and shelter. He's not, he didn't talk about, listen, no, I mean, there's no, I mean, they had carts and horses, but, but I'm saying donkeys, you know. But the thing is, is he's not saying, that, that verse is not saying that if you just, could, but this is what some people think. What some people think is that God is transactional. If I just do something, God, then you'll do something for me, and that's how it works. A cosmic Santa, a divine butler, just let me call him, ring him up, ding, ding, God, I need a Mercedes, can you make it happen? Or God, I need to get a pastor over this person at work because I need to get that and I need to push them down. Can you make it happen? That's not how God works as a matter of fact what he said is get your eye that controls your in, innermost being in your heart set on his kingdom and his righteousness that means his character and his way of life that's what he's saying his kingdom is how he does life righteousness would deal with your character get it on that start to zero in on what's internal within you which is your character and then and then seek after the things that God lays out that's what text is telling us. Because true treasure is internal, not external. The point is, is that, listen, the source of unpaid debt that steals our peace is actually a matter of the heart, not a matter of the bank account. So we have to check our hearts and ask what is in our heart that drove us to make the kinds of purchases and decisions and non-decisions and other things. that put us into debt. And now what's in our heart that's causing us to worry and fret over that and is keeping us away from staying focused on the kingdom that God has called us to pursue? That's the question you want to ask. Dr. Tony Evans says this about this relationship between our heart and the kingdom um, and, and what we seek. He says this, God's kingdom is lived out from the perspective of heaven, not earth. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Far too many Christians, though, think they can mix a little of God with a lot of the world. They're willing to follow several isolated fragments of what they find in God's word. They go to church for some fellowship. They give money when it's convenient. They're they're not stealing and so on. But they're not willing to submit to God's comprehensive plan and purpose for their lives. They're not willing to be a part of his kingdom agenda. And that's a big problem, Dr. Evans says. Because when you bring the world into the word, you're asking God the king to bless something that's contrary to his kingdom. He won't do that. In the end, your efforts to keep hold of only a little piece of God actually will prevent you from experiencing any part of God. Because you can't operate in two kingdoms at once. In a nutshell, why you don't want to miss this is because some of us are walking around fooling ourselves into thinking that we're right with God and we're not. And that's a hard message to hear. But we're blinded because we're trying to mix this concoction of the world and God and trying to keep religion and and maybe some stuff. And we're trying to put it all together. And even some of us will even take scripture and use it to validate our pursuit of things that are contrary to the kingdom. Lord, bless this relationship even though I'm involved in immorality. Lord, bless this effort even though I'm cheating my coworkers so that I can make money. Lord, do this. God's not going to do that. And he doesn't want you mixing all that together. And all of that comes from an inner core that says, I must worry. And some of us handle worry by taking it into our own hands. And some of us handle worry by crushing ourselves and falling asleep in the bed. And some of us handle worry by comparing and just starting to blast everybody else around. And however else you may handle it, the point, though, is is that we're being driven by something that is sinister within us, creating darkness in our lives, and things are being threatened. You said, man, Pastor, I thought you were going to tell us to pay the bills. I said that earlier. But we need to deal with, and this is what I want to spend a little bit of time on, as we come to this place, we need to understand that there are internal threats that are deeper and darker than external threats to our bank account. And what's driving us to that place that that, that involves coveting and it involves comparing and it involves jealousy and envy and bitterness and and even rage and all of those things that a lot of us walked in with is coming from a place that God wants to heal and wants to, listen, wants to motivate and inspire toward the kingdom and his agenda. And it really does come down to our choice. And I believe that there are many of us who have been coming to church for a long time And we're no closer to God than we were when we may have said an initial prayer. And I think there are some of us who don't know God at all. And maybe you came with your family and maybe it's your first time. Maybe you're coming back to church. Maybe. I don't know. But I know you're here today because what Jesus wants you to hear, what he wants you to make a choice for, is to say, I'm going to seek today. I'm going to make the decision to pay the internal debt within my heart and my mind. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Because true treasure is internal, not external. I'm going to stop worrying about bank accounts and houses and all of that, and I'm going to start being concerned with where my walk is with God. Because if you don't, there are some very deep things that are going to be threatened in your life that will cause you to have a life that you will regret and that you'll want to come back and wish you could come back to fix. Let me give you three. I'm going to give you some threats, things that are going to be threatened by this heart if we don't change it. give you a solution. I'm going to give you a practical application. Here's number one, relational peace. Some of you already deal with a lack of relational peace. Your spouse, your kids, your family, coworkers, neighborhood, siblings, whatever, extended family. You're dealing with relational peace that is in jeopardy. You, you experienced it over Thanksgiving. It caused you you know, sort of something in your heart that said, I don't want to go to this place. I don't want to be in this group. You know, you may have been twisting things and trying to manipulate. And then and the last, you know, as we all do, right, the last thing you do, I, I think I feel sick. I can't go, you know. And, and you don't want to be a part of that. And it's being threatened. Listen, you don't even know it, but it's being threatened because of a debt that you're not willing to pay. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18 related to this. He talks about a man who owed uh, his master uh, something like 200,000 years of wages. 200,000 years of wages. Who's going to be around 200,000, right? And you, so 200,000, that's how, it's, an un, it's an unpayable amount of money. And the master calls him in, and, and, and then he wants him to pay it back. And the guy pleads and begs with the master. And the master shows him compassion and forgives the entire debt. Forgives the entire debt. And if you pick it up in verse 28, it says, That servant who was forgiven the entire debt went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. So, again, owed him like two or three months' worth of money. He got forgiven 200,000 years. This guy owed him like three months' worth of money. I mean, not even close in comparison. Having been forgiven all that debt, you would think he'd be like, ah, don't worry about it, man, you know what just happened to me? Instead, Jesus says he grabbed him, he started choking him, and he said, pay me what you owe. Literally rang his neck, tried to choke him out over a few bucks when he got forgiven the world. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. Almost the exact words he said to his master. And yet it said he was, wasn't willing. Instead, he went and he threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants saw this, and, and they were deeply distressed, and they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Here's The master then kind of unforgives him and throws him into prison. <laughs> And Jesus closes by saying, So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Not your words, not in front of everybody so it sounds good, but from your heart. In your heart, that is a deep, inner, sinister, evil kind of unforgiveness. And Jesus knows the kind of damage it will do to us and our relationships. So relational peace everywhere. This guy messed up his peace, listen, with his fellow servant. He messed up his peace with his own family. He messed up his peace with the master again. He messed up his peace with the other servants. He had no relational peace whatsoever simply because he was unwilling to pay the debt that this guy had racked up that he said was of debt against himself when he was forgiven a debt that was infinitely larger. Why? Here's the solution. Humility. He lacked humility. He wasn't willing to elevate others and God beyond himself. It was still all about him. He just was happy that he got, got away with it. And he showed it because he went out and began to treat someone worse than he was treated. And the idea of humility is that we are broken before God, we are humbled before God, and that, listen, listen, here's the thing, no one is ever going to do anything against us that's worse than what we've done to God, ever, and let God forgives us of that, how can we in good conscience go out and not forgive others? How could we in good conscience go out and make them hold on and place them on a hook and keep them on that hook and not let them off of it when we've been let off the same hook by the Creator? That's the point. And when we live that way, that is an internal debt that you carry with it. And listen, you won't do this, especially not in this room. All you got to do is ask people around and go, am I forgiving? Oh, your spouse will tell you. Maybe. He might want dinner. But, you know, there will be people who will speak truth into you. Because, listen, you might think you're good, and you might think you're hiding it from everybody, but you're not. You're carrying around that in, the anger, the bitterness, the, the look on your face, all of that. The, your tone changes every time that person's name's mentioned or that situation comes up. Oh, oh, you invited them. And you know something's going on. Here's the point, here's the application. Released people release. And you could fill in anything you want to release them. That means means forgiven people forgive. You know, people who have received compassion are compassionate. People who receive mercy are merciful. I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. God brings us in. He does a work in our life. That, listen, we're not perfect. We're not going to get it right all the time. But there should be a basic trajectory toward not just being a recipient of something, but being a disperser of it as well. And if there's none of that in your life, then that is a deep, dark, sinister, inward problem with your eye is on what you're focused on in your heart. And what you're probably doing is buying purchases and getting in debt because you're trying to buy things to make you feel better about what's going on. And you have relational chaos all around you. And until you get to the place where you humble yourself before God and then practice releasing, as he releases you, you release others, it's never going to go away. And that is hard, hard work, guys. It's not a simple Sunday you come in and go, I got it, okay, I'm good. Those are tough conversations with you, with God, and with those people. Here's a second threat, generational peace. See, it doesn't just affect you. It affects generations. All of us are a product of an environment, and we can look back in our environment and see all the places that we can know. And if I were to ask you, you'd all have a list, and some of you would have a book of things that the generations before you did wrong that set you up for failure. Our whole culture is built on identifying this stuff now. But have you ever asked yourself, what things am I doing that are setting the next generation up for failure? Am I passing something on? Am I investing? Am I empowering? Am I doing those things? Because here's what Jesus said, even before the verse we read in 21 about your heart. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. He adds something to the internal. True treasure is not external, right? It's internal, not external, but it's also eternal. And what that means is, is that it's about investing. It's about trying to pass something on. It's about developing. It's about handing something on to, to another generation or to another group. It's about empowering and opening doors for others. That's what true sort of treasure is. That's what true wealth is. And he's saying that there's a certain kind of treasure you can invest in that's going to get taken away because of just the natural you know, progress of the world. And there's another kind of treasure that is eternal. And I can assure you that all eternal treasure starts out being internal. And what, and, and what he wants us to do is he wants us to be people, and this is the solution to this, that instead of having dis- generational dysfunction, he needs somebody to step out and start to practice wisdom. That's the character trait, wisdom. It's the, it's the ability to take information you know and stuff you've learned and apply it with an idea toward the future. So you could have financial wisdom by investing, and you could have relational wisdom by investing. You can have any kind of wisdom you want. And and listen, it's all found in the pages of Scripture. And with with consensus from God's people, you can begin to learn some things that will help you, that will be wise choices that you make that you can then impact your kids, or you can impact your marriage, or you can impact grandkids. You can impact even your parents above you. You can impact generations around you and you can break cycles of dysfunction and hurt and pain but it takes wisdom. And this is the sort of application empowered people empower. You know, so you get an education, you get you get a nice job, you get some of these things empower us. Well, what are we supposed to use them for? To rack up tr- treasures on earth? What he's saying is don't treasure treasures. That's what the original language was. Don't treasure treasures for treasure's sake. Instead, Treasure, treasure (laughs) that is eternal. And the only thing that's eternal are people. So that means you begin to build into people's lives. That takes a certain amount of servitude, right? It takes a certain amount of humility, which you learned in the first part. You got to be somebody. And listen, you all know and we know people who have given their lives for the sake of others, and they are powerful people. The reason they're powerful is because they've chosen to empower others. You want to affect the next generation, or do you just care about you? I'll get mine. They can all do it like I did. They can figure it out. Or are you going to be somebody who empowers? Here's the third thing. There is a spiritual peace that gets threatened when we have unpaid internal debts. This spiritual peace is the most important peace because it's the peace of our soul. It's the peace that that allows us to know that we are, we are valued but also loved and that we are forgiven and that we are renewed and that, and that we have a hope and a future, that's what spiritual peace is. And that can only come from our creator. That can only come from God. And some of us like that. And again, it has nothing to do with how long you've been at church. It doesn't have anything to do with how much you know about the Bible. It has to do with this idea of Trust. See, Jesus told a great parable. Or actually, it's, it wasn't a parable. It was a, an encounter that he had with a rich young ruler who came along. And the rich young ruler said, I need to know what it takes to get eternal life. It's a good question. I think we should all be asking that. And Jesus said, well, he started with the commandments, but he only started with the back half of the commandments that dealt with other people. He didn't even go to the four commandments that deal with God. He just dealt with the commandments. He said, you know, you know you're not supposed to murder, steal. You don't bear false witness. You don't do. And the guy, of course, said, well, I've done all that. And there's some of us in this room that even said, I'm pretty good with people. I think so. And he says, but there's one thing you lack. And and the interesting thing is the text tells us that it's because Jesus had compassion on him. He loved him. He said, there's one thing you lack. You know that when people speak hard truth to you, it's because they love you? Now, I know there's some people who speak hard truth in a hard way, and it's not out of love. But people who speak hard truth in a gracious way, they love you. And Jesus would tell him, the thing you lack is that you need to sell all your possessions, give it all away, and then you can come follow me. Now, he wasn't making a statement about poverty living or any of that kind of stuff. But for that one kid, that one rich young ruler, the one area that he was not trusting God with was his money. And the text tells us that he went away sad because he had a lot of watch possessions. He had a lot of things. He didn't want to give those up. The question is, do you trust your heavenly father with everything, no matter what? He may or may not ask you to give it away. There are some things that he probably loves just as much as you do, like your kids or like your, your spouse or like your neighbors or friends or people who don't know Christ. He loves them just as much as you do. But there comes a point in time where we have to say, am I willing to give and listen, am I willing to take my eye off of everything else except the kingdom of God and, and, and follow that no matter what? You know what trust looks like in the life of a human? I got this picture of a dog. I want you to see it. Check this out. This is what it looks like for a dog. Yeah. We need to be that in front of God. You know what that is? That's total surrender. What that dog is saying is, I love and trust you so much and I have, I am so confident in you that I'm putting you in a position where you could completely destroy me, but I don't believe you will. And so, what does he get in return? For some of us, to give them a treat, right, if you're a dog person. Some of you, the best thing, a belly rub. You just get in there and rub their belly, and they're just kicking all over, and they just love it. But have you ever seen a dog that's been a rescue dog or been out and and not around people they trust? And I'm telling you, their tail is down, and they're yipping, and they're barking, and they're crouched in. They don't look like that. Now, the difference between a dog and a human is with a dog, you kind of got to earn it by helping them see, and then they have an experience. With a human, it's our choice. Because here's the practical side of it. Saved people, we always talk about being saved. We always talk about what it's looking like. Saved people surrender. They surrender to their Father in heaven, and they lay themselves out, and they go, it is all yours, God, no matter what. So smattering of applause, because we're not confident about it. And this is why I think this is the problem. I don't think most of us have done that. I had to check myself this week. There are certainly areas of my life where I'm not laid out like that. There are areas of my life where I'm rolled right back over and I'm clenched. And I think we all have them. And they're threatening us. Now, why did I put this last and not first? Because it is the most important. Because I believe there are some of you in this room who haven't even surrendered your life to Christ the first time. And and, and that's what you need to do, is you need to come to a place where you recognize that you have a creator, a heavenly father who loves you and made you for a purpose. And listen, he knows and knew that you cannot do it on your own, just like he knew for all of us. And he made the decision to come and, and, and dwell among us. His name was Jesus, God in the flesh, dwelt among us to pay a price that we owed to go to a cross that should have been our cross so that we can have an opportunity to be in a relationship with our creator. And he says, I love you. You matter. You're more important than birds. You're more valuable than the the lilies of the field. You're more valuable than all the stuff you see around. The most important thing to God is you, in the sense of, over all the rest of creation, people are what's most important to God. The question is are you willing to surrender your life to that? Are you willing to say, I trust that? And I'm going to put my trust in that. The Bible calls it faith, but it's really trust. I'm trusting that what God says is true and he is who he says he is. And my life will be better with him than without him. And I don't want to do it my way anymore. Here's what I believe. Whether you'll be honest about it or not, whether all of us will be honest about it or not, I think there's some people in here who the easy. I think there's some people here who would just readily say, yeah, I've not been religious. I don't know anything. I was brought by my aunt, my uncle, my friend, whatever, and I'm here. And, man. This is great, but I didn't know it this before I came in. And there are some who say, I've been here 20 years, and I don't know if I've surrendered to God. And today can be that day. Because what I want to encourage each of us to do, and we're going to give you a chance in just a few minutes even to physically respond. So I'm going to just tell you right up front, in just a moment, we're going to take an offering. That is not the end of the service. Not today. Today, we're going to spend a few moments, and we're going to make some room for God. Because he wants us to abandon traditions. He wants us to abandon just simple religion. He wants us to abandon all of those. He wants us to embrace him and his kingdom. And the first step to embracing is giving your life to Christ. But really the second step is a almost daily repentance that you keep fighting, drifting off for yourself and staying in, clinging to God. so we want to give you a chance just a minute. Before that, I want to invite you to bow your heads. And if you've never received Christ, you've never started a relationship, and if you're online even, you could do this. I'm going to pray a prayer that is a prayer of, of committing to God. Now, this is not the prayer itself is, are words that I've written out that are just meant to reflect, hopefully, what's authentic in your heart. And if, it's, if, if, it, if it is, then today is a day that you could say, I want to surrender my life to you, God. I want to be your follower and he will receive you and give you a whole new identity and begin a new way of life for you. And so if you're if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed and you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want you to pray these words after me. Jesus, I surrender to you. Today I give you my life. I confess my sins to you. I believe you died in my place. And today I invite you into my life. I ask you to be my Lord to be my personal Savior, and to change me from the inside out so that I can live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you for the applause. Some of you prayed that prayer. Let me let me just quickly, I'm, I'm just close your eyes again. You don't have to bow your head. But close your eyes, please. And if, if you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time, this is just for me. I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand real quick? I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna point you out. I just want to see around the room if you've raised if, if you raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer. Thank you, sir. I see in front. See anybody else on the side over here in the middle? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. I'm gonna be praying for you, but I also now you can open your eyes and here's what I want you to do. Some of you were too shy to your in, that's okay. You all got a program on the way in. It says peace of mind on the front. There's a tear away at the bottom. I want you to, and online, there's prompts coming in. You can answer on the prompts. I want you to put in your information. I want you to tell us that you said yes to Jesus today. And in a moment, we take our offering. You can drop that in the offering, and we would love to talk with you, meet with you, pray with you, get you going on your next steps. You can also, if you're kind of shy or in a hurry, you don't want to do that, you could text next to the phone number on the screen, 909-281-7797. Yes. Um, I didn't, I don't know if I said it right. My, My glasses are gone. Anyway, the point is, you see it. Text the word next. You can also text the word next if you want to take some other steps we can talk about later. But if you said yes to Jesus, text the word next there. If someone from our team wants to reach out. Again, if you're online, answer in the prompts. Someone from that team is going to answer and, and help you as well. Here's what I want to do for the rest of the service. And, and, and there is a rest of the service. We're going to take an offering. I want you, I want to, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I want, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back out. And then the as the ushers take the offering, as they move to the back, I want you to, you know, I want to rob anybody of their opportunity to give. That, that's an act of worship. We want you to worship God. We want you to be a part of giving to God. But as they clear your row, I want you to stand. here's what I want you to start to think about. Am I surrendered to God? Have I made room in my life for God? In my marriage, in my neighborhood, in my job, in my pursuits, my dreams, my visions for life. Is Have I made room for God? And we're going to sing a song that talks about making room for God. And to be to, 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 for people to be willing to give up. You know, old traditions and even religion. Listen, Jesus' is about relationship, not necessarily religion. There is a certain kind of religion that's pure, but very often we don't practice that. We practice a self, you know, sort of it makes us feel good, you know, kind of religion. And he wants a relationship with us. And that and and that takes a moment of choice. And listen, as long as you're concerned and worried about what's next after this, lunch, football, fan, whatever, you're not gonna sit down and take it seriously. And I'm sorry, but I don't trust any of us to leave this room and go, I'll do it later. No, we won't. Do it right here in this moment. Give God an extra few minutes. And let's make some room. If you're online, do it online. You can get in your room. You can chat it up in the chat, and you can talk about it. But find a way. Listen, we're going to open up this front. I say that like there's something to do. It's open. And during the song, as the ushers pass by, you stand up. you got to come down here. Come down here you got to get with your family in your chairs, move together in the chairs and get together. You want to go on the side, go on the side. You can go on the balcony. doesn't matter to me. But get out of your seat and then say, I'm going to make room for God. My first step to making room with God is I'm going to find a place that's not this seat, except you're with a family, and then I'm I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. And I'm not going to worry about what people think. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to lay at the altar unmet expectations, which is what we talked about week one. You're going to lay at the altar unresolved conflict. You're going to lay at the altar some unfair comparisons. You're going to lay at the altar some internal debt that is threatening your relational peace, your generational peace. It's threatening your spiritual peace. And you're going to give it to God. You're going to go on your back like that dog, and you're going to say, God, here I am. And you're going to let him. come alongside you and just just quietly minister to you and let the words of the song become your heart your prayer Father I thank you for this group I thank you for what's happening at Sunrise through all of our campuses Lord through our online and everywhere God you are moving you are are doing things you've always been doing things I'm just so thankful that I, I, I just sense a group of people here is tuning into that we saw it in the root of testimonies. We, we experienced it for those who are at the night of worship. We've seen it through testimonies and other videos that we've watched. God, in this room, there are people who are hurting. And there's a way out. The way out is to trust you, God. The way out is to humble ourselves before you. The way out is to call on you for wisdom. And Lord, we want to be people who release things and empower people and and, and, and trust you, Lord, surrendering everything to you. So you lead this next time, Lord, here in the room, online, in people's homes, you lead this time. And as we fold from that into prayer partners, may we connect together and in community, pray for one another. God, you shook the earth when your church began to pray together. I believe you can do whatever you want to do. God, what you need are a people who say, I'm here for whatever you want to do, God. And when we say that, you'll show us what you want to do. So in these next few moments, just call on you to meet with us, speak with us. And just be a first step, Lord, toward being people who are totally surrendered to you. Lead us, guide us through this time, God, in Jesus' name.